Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. When I was a child, we would go on family vacations. And, uh, and I remember that vacation didn't start until we arrived at our destination. And in my house, what that looked like was uh, mom and dad coming in at 4 o'clock in the morning because our bags were packed the night before. And at 4 o'clock in the morning, in our pajamas, we were ushered into the car, and by 4.15, dad was on the road heading toward the vacation destination. And it didn't start until we got there. And so that was my expectation. That's, you know, if you're going to go on vacation, vacation starts when you get to where you're going. I remember when I was in graduate school talking with a fellow student, and, uh, and, and he relayed the same story. That's what life was like for him growing up. And I just nodded in, a, in agreement. Yep, yep, yep. Vacation starts when you arrive at the journey. And he said, I gave that up. He says, what do you mean you gave it up? He says, my vacation starts the, 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 the last day of work when I go to bed at night. I go, what? He goes, yeah, I, I, vacation is supposed to be a time of relaxing. It's supposed to be a time of rest. So why not be restful when you arrive at your destination? Okay. That, why not? That, that, that's, I mean, it was, revolution to, it was revolutionary to me. And so uh, I, I started working on that, uh, on, on that premise that whenever I went someplace, it wasn't necessarily the destination that was important. It was, the, that it was just it was enjoying the moment. It was enjoying the time. And I, and I, and I know I've told, I've told many of you this before, but I remember when I had that revelation when I was able to take my, my concept of vacation and, and apply it to my relationship with God. I mean, I, uh, you know, I, came, to, I came to faith late in life, uh, and, uh, uh, and it, was, it was all about the destination. It was all about making sure that when you die, you go to heaven. In fact, I went, through a, I went through a course that was developed by a, a fellow Presbyterian uh, called Evangelism Explosion. Have any of you ever heard about Evangelism Explosion? Yeah, it's all based around two questions. Two questions. If you were to, if you were to die today, do you know for certain that you would go to heaven? Well, that's an interesting question. And, uh, you, you know, and you get various answers. Well, gosh, gee, uh, you know, I'm really hoping so. And uh, uh, that's what I, you know, I, yeah, I'd like to think so. Uh, and then the follow-up question that came after that was, okay, so you're standing there uh, at the pearly gates, and, uh, and, and Jesus is there, and he looks at you and he says, okay, so uh, why should I let you in? And, and the responses are, uh, uh, well, uh, you know, I've tried to live a good life. Uh, uh, I was a churchgoer. Uh, 
I, I sang in the choir. Uh, and all these answers start coming out that uh, would indicate that whether or not you got into heaven was based on whether or not you were good enough. Uh, and, um, <laughs> and I love the example. It's a cartoon I have in my office. Uh, there's this long line of people waiting to get into heaven. And the guy's coming back. He's holding something in his hands. And he stops because he's, he sees a friend in line. And he's looking at this thing in his hand. And he's looking at his friend. And he says, I got to the front of the line and they gave me a certificate for 100% uh, church attendance and then told me to go to hell. (laughs) Because it's not about what we do, it's about what Jesus has done. At the end of the day, it's about what Jesus has done on the cross. And if you're counting on anything other than the completed work of Christ, then, then you're counting on the wrong things. And, and we all understand that, and yes, that sounds good, and that, you know, that's good theology, and, 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 but that informs so much of my faith as a, as a young Christian, and even as a young minister, making sure that people had the contract signed, that all the, all the I's were dotted, and all the T's were crossed, that you had your passport stamped, so that you knew for certain that you were going to heaven when you died, and, 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 and you knew the right answers, that it wasn't based on what you have done, but what Jesus has done, and you're in. But that was also a reflection of how I lived my life. I was destination-oriented. I had a plan. I had a vision. I wanted to get someplace. I, I wanted to build something, and it was the destination that I had in mind. And I'll never forget when I began to realize that the journey also had some value. What you did on the way to the destination. And then I realized that that journey was just as important as the destination. And I can say that now without... without any hesitation, but when I first started saying that, I had to swallow hard, because I, I, I knew it up here, but I didn't know it here. And then I got to the point where I realized that the journey is the destination. The journey is the destination. The invitation that is given to us by Jesus Christ is to enter into his rest, to enter into his kingdom. We have opportunity to live in the kingdom of God right here and now. Oh, there are competing kingdoms. I get that. And and I recognize the already but not yet. The, The work of Christ is done, but we're still living in a broken world. And we wrestle with that. But we wrestle with that as citizens of the kingdom of God. And that ought to change everything for us. And I think that is what the author of the book of Hebrews is trying to get across to these Jewish background Christians. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the third chapter of the book of Hebrews. Don't use the, don't use the Bibles in the pew. can't do that. See, this is, this is how I'm going to get you guys to bring your Bibles to church. Or your electronic device. You can do that. Yes, 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 I see that. 
So you've got these, these Jewish background believers who are on this journey now with Christ, and they're facing some challenges. They're facing some persecution. Life is not a bed of roses. Following Jesus uh, it may have been a logical, compelling decision for them, but in the midst of it, all of a sudden, life got hard. Hey, do, you, do you know that feeling? Has, has, has life ever gotten hard for you in the midst of your journey? You yeah, have well... And so they're, 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 they're receiving pressure from the secular community in which they're living. They're receiving pressure from the Gentile background believers who think they're too Jewish. They're, 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 they're receiving pressure from their, uh, uh, their Jewish families uh, who have not yet come to the realization that, that Jesus is the Messiah. And, and they're, they're feeling that tug to go back to what they knew, back to what was comfortable, back to where there was little to no pressure, and to walk away from this newfound faith. And so in the first chapter of, of, of Hebrews, the author wants them to understand how much superior Jesus is to the angels. And then and, and, and moving into the second chapter, Jesus is far superior to Moses. Moses was the man. I mean, he, he, he spoke with God. He, he received from God the law through Moses, God performed mighty miracles. So looking back, the Jewish community to this day, they think Moses, whoo, greatest of all time. But we know better. We know that, in fact, Jesus is the greatest of all time. And we looked at that last week. Moses was faithful as a servant of all of God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ, as the faithful Son of God over God's house, and we are God's house, as the Holy Spirit dwells within us, if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast... And so now I'm into the third chapter, verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers and mothers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. And I said their hearts are always going astray. And they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful and unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end this confidence we had at first. As it has just been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And those 
and, and, and with whom he was angry for 40 years, was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Now they were on their way to the promised land. And sometimes it is said of Christians that we also are on our way to the promised land. And when you hear that language, what do you think of? Yeah, I think of heaven. But it's the journey that we need to be so mindful of. And how is our journey that much different than the journey of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt to the promised land? I love this as the author of Hebrews starts out here in verse 7. As the Holy Spirit says, and then he quotes a chunk of Psalm 95. So there is this recognition that what we have, what we are holding, is divinely inspired. The Holy Spirit continues to speak to those who have ears to hear, which is why I gave you three tasks. The first one was to read your Bible. Second one, to pray. Third one, to exercise. We have to know what we believe and why we believe it. And there are so many competing voices out there that if we allow them to dominate our thinking, we will find ourselves drifting away in that cultural current that wants nothing to do with spiritual things. So as the Holy Spirit says today, 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 if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during that time of testing in the desert. Interesting thing about, uh, about Hebrew uh, and uh, the, the, the words uh, for, for cities uh, come to mean things. And so uh, he's referring to two specific instances when they were in the wilderness, both having to do with, uh, with thirst and them wanting water. And the, and the first time, uh, God tells Moses to strike the rock three times, and the rock gushes forth water. The second time, he tells Moses just to speak to the rock. But Moses strikes the rock. And, and for that act of disobedience, he's prevented from going into the promised land. But the rock does spring forth water. And why is what well, water is needed, but it's in response to their grumbling on the journey. Do not, do not harden your hearts as you did in the day of the rebellion in Massah. Uh, or during the time of testing in, in Mirbah, where they were quarreling with one another, fighting over, oh my gosh, what are we doing out here? Wouldn't it have been better if we had just stayed in Egypt? Oh gosh, when we could sit around the campfires at night and eat from the pots of stew, and we just, we had it, we had it made. Did they? I'm sorry? We can talk about that later, Pastor John. 
our resident Egyptian. And, and, why are you here? <laughs> so, so anyway, so they're on this journey. They have left the slavery of Egypt. They are on their way to the promised land. And, and I mean, for, uh, and, and almost from the get-go, I mean, Moses comes and says, okay, uh, get ready, We're, you know, God's going to deliver you. And, uh, and he, goes to Moses, he goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. Uh, and, uh, and Pharaoh says, I don't think so. Uh, and then, you know, you know the story, they had to make uh, bricks without straw, and uh, life got really hard for them, and, uh, and they were grumbling against Moses. And it took a while before, you know, how many plagues, how many were there? Anybody know? Ten. Ten plagues. Uh, uh, you know, and that last plague was the angel of death uh, coming over, the passing over, uh, and, and the firstborn of, of all the Egyptians died, uh, and the houses that were marked with the blood of the lamb on the posts and the lentils, the angel of death passed over, uh, and then they were, then Pharaoh said, get out of here. Uh, and, and, and they watched Moses perform miracle after miracle after miracle. They watched Moses uh, uh, bring all these plagues and then send them away. They watched Moses separate the Red Sea and they walked across on dry land. They watched Moses as he closed the sea and, and the Egyptian army was destroyed. Uh, Moses goes to the foot of the mountain, and I love this. In, in the 19th chapter of Exodus, they're there. They're, 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 they're at the mountain where, where God dwells, where Moses encountered the burning bush. And, and God says to Moses, okay, here's the deal. Tell the people I brought them out of Egypt because I love them. But if they want to stay and be my people, I will be their God, and I will make of them a nation of priests. And we can do some pretty cool things in the world. And they say, we will do it, we will do it, we will do it. Then Moses goes up to get the law. It's important for us to understand that the grace of God preceded the law of God. The grace of God precedes the law of God. Moses goes up. He's up there a little bit too long. And what do they do? They start grumbling again. We don't know what happened to Moses. So they start pressuring Aaron. Aaron, Aaron, we don't know what happened to your brother. So we're going to bring you a bunch of gold. And we want you to make us, an, uh, make us a god that we can take back to Egypt. We want to go back to Egypt, back into slavery. And so, uh, so he does. And, and, and Moses gets the Ten Commandments, and he says, oh, no, there's, there's war going on down there. And God says, no, it's not war. They're already being, they're already being uh, uh, disobedient. It's, they're partying. And Moses goes down, and Aaron, what are you doing? I, I just threw it in there, and out came a calf. Right. So, I mean, just time after time after, Moses, we're tired. Moses, we're thirsty. Moses, we're hungry. And, and, and Moses is saying, yeah, God, what did you do this to me for? And God says, I tell you what, Moses, I'll just wipe them out and start over with you. No, 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 don't want to do that. But uh, th these are people who watched God do some amazing things. And all they could do is grumble. And their hearts were hardened. And so he brings them to the promised land. They're there. And they send in 12 spies, one from each nation, to check it out. 
And they go in there and they come back. Uh, and they were in there for, they were there for, they were in this 40-day exposition. And they come back and, and they bring this produce, and amazing produce. And yes, indeed, this is a land flowing with milk and honey. This is so cool. Let's go. Let's do it. Only two of the uh, spies said that, Caleb and Joshua. The other ten said, yeah, this is all true, but these guys are like giants. And if we go in there, they are going to smash us. And, and, and Caleb and Joshua are saying, are, are you guys, what are you? God has brought us here. He is going to deliver us into this promised land. All we got to do is go, yeah, come on. And, and, the, and the other ten are picking up rocks to stone them. Which is why they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. One year for each day that they were on this reconnaissance trip. And during that 40 years, that whole generation died out. Their hearts were hardened. So that's the imagery that the author of Hebrews is drawing on as he's speaking to these, to these Jewish background Christians. Don't, Today, while you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the times of the desert when your fathers and mothers tested and tried me for 40 years. They saw what I did. I was angry with that generation. And they said in their hearts, their hearts were always going astray. They have not known my ways. And so I declared on my oath uh, in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And they didn't. It was passed on to the next generation. You know, there was another one who, who came and promised rest. Jesus told his followers, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful and unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. What is it that hardens your heart? What are the things that, that harden your heart today? Pride? Pain? Suffering? Injustice? Are those things that can harden your heart? I think it depends on how you respond. Because a hardened heart tends to withdraw and pull into isolation. A hardened heart festers bitterness, resentment, and unforgiveness. A hardened heart separates us from one another. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful and unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. And if that line is not underlined in your Bible, highlighted in your Bible, marked some way in your Bible, I suggest that you do it. Because for me, that's the money verse in this chapter. Encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. Because you know what, people? Today is all we've got. Today is all we have. It's a gift. That's why they call it a present. The present, right? 
Yes, something like that. You know, I, I think about this, uh, and I think about Paul when uh, in, th- in 1 Corinthians 13, the great love chapter of the Bible. How does he conclude that chapter? That chapter? The, uh, of all these things, these things are the greatest. What are they? Just it's the, the writings on the wall, folks. Look behind you. Faith, hope, and love. But the, I don't know if you've noticed this. As you're looking at these signs, we have faith, hope, and love, and love is greater than faith and hope. Of these three, the greatest, of, the greatest is, is love. And as, as, I, as I've thought about these three words, I've, I've, come to, I've come to see them as faith is in the past. My faith is, is firmly grounded upon who Jesus is and what he has done. Because when he finished, when he said, it is finished, he sat down. We read that in chapter 1 of Hebrews. He sat down. Our faith is based in the reality of who Jesus is. The Son of God, fully God, fully human, teaching us, showing us the face of God, how to live with one another, along with God's commandments, punctuated by grace. He goes to the cross. He deals with sin once and for all. The power that raised him from the dead is the power that is at work within us, raising us from, uh, from the dead into new life in Christ. He's ascended into heaven where he reigns, sovereign, holding all things together by the power of his word until that day when he will return and right every wrong, the already but not yet. We long for that day, but we're not there yet. My faith is in who Jesus is. That's in the past. My hope is in the promises that the day will come when he returns and rights every wrong. That's in the future. And where do the past and the future collide? In the moment. In the moment. In this present moment. Today. And that's love. Exactly. My faith, I'm motivated by faith in hope of the future. The past and the future come together in this present moment. And this is where we live and we live in love. And, and, and for years and years, I said, love is a verb, not an adjective. But you know what? It's both. Jesus said, I want you to love as I have loved. You should love one another. And how did Jesus love? He loved with compassion. He loved with grace. He loved with service and sacrifice. Love is both passive and active. Encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. This is why we need community. This is why it's important for us to gather and look at each other and say, yes, I know you, I know you. And hopefully if you find yourself in a time of desolation, someone is going to come alongside of you and say, hey, I I know you're struggling right now, but I want you to know that I'm praying for you. I want to encourage you. This too will pass. And I don't care what you're going through. It will pass. Ultimately, we will pass from this life into the next. But what is this life? James says it beautifully. What is your life? It is a a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Life is fleeting. And it is short. I know you don't realize that it's how short life is until you get to about your fifth decade. And then you start to realize just how short and how fast life is passing by. Don't miss today 
while it is called today. Be a person of encouragement. If you are a person of encouragement, if you are a supportive person, if you are a loving person, if you are a compassionate person, when you find yourself in a period of desolation, you're going to be surrounded by people who are loving, supporting, encouraging. Because you have not let your heart be hardened. Yesterday, somebody said to me, you know, it's only the free who can rest. Slaves don't get to rest. Jesus says, enter into my rest. You see, the slavery that we have been released from is the slavery to sin. We're no longer bound by that. Do we still sin? Yeah, but it's a choice. Don't make that choice. You can choose now. And you know what? It's harder to make a bad choice when you're in good company. When you surround yourself with people who love you, who care for you, who have the same values as you, who have the same motivations as you. And what is that value? What is that motivation? But to live in God's kingdom. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's here and now, folks. And it's a life that belies our external circumstances. Following Christ is not easy in our current culture. But I got news for you. It's not been easy throughout history because there is an adversary that does not want us to enjoy that abundant life, that wants us to have a hardened heart, that wants us to be bitter, that wants us to be cranky, that wants us to sow seeds of, of, of dissension amongst our family and our friends. Don't buy into it. Don't buy into it. Who were these people who heard and rebelled? Were they not those that Moses led out of Egypt? Who are the people that, that, that hear and rebel today? Are they not those that Jesus led out of slavery to sin? If we're not careful, we find ourselves in the same place in this journey. Is the destination important? Yes. But oh my gosh, if that is our only hope, that someday we can say goodbye to all this cruddy stuff going on in the world, if that's our only hope, I think we're to be pitied. It's so much more than that. It's life and life abundant. And that's what Jesus says. I want you to enter into my rest. I like the word contentment. That in my soul, and, and, and Paul, again, he says it beautifully, I've learned the secret to being content with plenty or with little, with health or with sickness. Some, some, of, some of you, when you got married, you said that. You know, I, I, I choose you to be my beloved in, in sickness and in health for richer or poorer uh, uh, until death do us part. There, there, there's, there's life in community that you can't have in isolation. And that's what the author is saying here. And whom did God swear they would never enter into his rest if, they, uh, if not those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Unbelief can still impact the life of a believer. Now, it's not wrong to doubt 
But when you begin to doubt, push it. Push back at it. And make that faith your own. Understand what it is. And you cannot do that unless you're reading Scripture. And you cannot understand Scripture unless you're in prayer. And you cannot enter into a life that is transforming unless you are spiritually exercising your soul. Oh, my friends, we are on a journey. And that journey is hard sometimes. But as a famous philosopher once said, life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. And that's why this day we choose, while it is called today, to encourage, to support, to gather, to meet, to pray, to seek. So that when one stumbles, another is there to help them up. No one stumbles and falls when they are in community. So be encouragers of one another. Don't let your hearts be hardened. Recognize that it is the journey, this present moment, that we have opportunity to live and love for the glory of God. And I guarantee you that if we embrace that ideology, that philosophy, that theology, understanding who Jesus is, our hearts will never be hardened. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. You know, I have a feeling that there are probably more destination-oriented people uh, hearing my voice than we want to admit. Uh, you know, I just need to, I just need to, I just need to, you know, to grow up and finish school, then I can apply myself to my faith. Oh, I just need to, I just need to get established in my career, and then I can apply myself to my faith. Oh, I just, I just need to find that perfect person uh, to, uh, uh, by the way, if you find that perfect person that you want to marry, don't, don't, don't. Um, <laughs> because you're far from perfect, and so am I. And, and so are they. But you, you think, oh, okay, once I get my life, you know, once I start a family, once I reach this level, once I get to, I mean, it, it, you're going to, the goalposts continually move. And you know what I discovered? That no matter what you do or where you go, there you are. And it's where you are is where you need to be. And that's today in this moment. Because today is all we have. So let us live today and encourage one another for the glory and honor of God that our hearts might not be hardened and that we might enter into his rest and receive that abundant life. Amen?